Hello and welcome back to another episode of LMS Cast. In this session, we're gonna, we're talking with Frank Bria from Scale to Success and the creator of High Ticket Program. And we're going to get into some really interesting ways to look at pricing, scaling, and really when you're designing your courses, that you make sure that you take certain essential building blocks into account if you want to build a a successful and scalable program. Frank, thank you for coming on the show. Hey, my pleasure. It's an honor to be on your your program. Thanks. All right. Well, let's get right into it. You're known as the high ticket guy. So what what are some of the keys of uh, building a, you know, a high end course? We get asked this a lot, like, how do I price my course? Or if I want to create a premium course, what are the key parts of that? But, but, you know, what, I guess, what are some common misconceptions? And then how do we get into like really starting off strong, going for a high ticket in the beginning? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. So basically, one of the things that um, that makes it tough when when it comes down to pricing is, you know, what is the value of knowledge, right? And that 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 fundamentally is the question that we end up asking, and and I think that's actually the problem because it's kind of a trap question. It's like a trick question. What's the value of knowledge? Well, whatever it is, I don't know the answer of what's the value of knowledge, but I can tell you this for sure. Whatever the value of knowledge is today, tomorrow it will be less. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The price of knowledge is going down for sure. Like there are already people running around saying the price of knowledge is free, you know, not, uh, content is free, whatever. Uh, so it makes it tough, right? When we are trying to make a business out of teaching, um, it makes it tough to come up with good pricing. Obviously, you want to be paid for your efforts. So how do you pull that off? Well, the, the, the answer that I've come up with that I think makes the most sense to me personally based on my background and the kind of work that I've done is to stop asking about the price of knowledge and to start asking about the price of results. Mm-hmm. What, what is the price of the outcome, right? Because we're learning for a particular purpose. We're learning for, you know, an outcome. And so the, you know, example I love to give is like the example of somebody who teaches, example, somebody who teaches like a Twitter course, right? What's the purpose of learning how to use Twitter? Well, it's not so that you can feel better about using Twitter. I mean, maybe it is. Maybe we're feeling less frustrated and I've got, you know, it's easier to live my life. But the whole point is, if you're a business owner and you're using Twitter, you're doing it specifically to gain leads, right? To, to get sales. So the value in the knowledge of getting sales is the value of the sales, right? Well, that's now something I can quantify. And that's something where actually price isn't going to go down. It's actually going to go up over time. So if we can make this switch of worrying about how much we price the knowledge and how much we price the results, if we can switch over to outcome-based thinking um, in what we do, then we're in a much better place. We're in a place where prices go up. We're in a place where we can charge high ticket. We're in a place where our, our clients see the immediate value, right? We don't have this thing where it's like, well, I went through your eight modules and watched your videos. I just didn't really think it was worth $99. Like <laughs> all of that just goes away, right? Um, and we're, we're back to a place of, well, you got results, like you got money out of this. Um, now, the, the challenge I think there is that a lot of times when we develop courses, we don't think about outcomes. We think about learning outcomes, right? That's like an instructional design thing. But we don't really think about life outcomes, like life-changing outcomes, and so I tell people, you know, find your life-changing outcome. What is the outcome you're trying to generate for your audience 
that is life-changing. And if you think I'm overstating it by saying life-changing outcome, you're probably in the wrong business. Um, because I think as an entrepreneur, we should all be out there trying to make big impact, right? And that's the ticket to high mm -hmm. sales. People always say, what's the, what's the ticket? What's the, what's the secret to selling something for high ticket? The secret is changing lives, period. That's it, exactly. That's really cool. And let's give out some examples of, uh, you know, a big outcome. I mean, it's, it's funny in, in the online course space, it's not as, um, you have to, in some ways you have to work a little harder for it. Uh, whereas like in society at large, sometimes there's some assumptions in operation where people don't think twice about a hundred grand in debt for a, a education. And I'm not yeah. saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying right. it's more just kind of assume that that's there. Uh, but like, <clears throat> I don't know, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, I would pay a lot of money for something related to my kids and their health and, and sure. wellness and well-being or, or uh, elderly parent or, um, you know, if I was trying to make a career move and, and have a, a much better paying career, that's a value to me. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So look, the way I look at it is this, and this may be really, um, I don't know, uh, very tactical, but I think people buy stuff for one of four reasons and only four reasons, right? Okay. They, either buy, they either buy something to make money, to save money, to stay out of jail <laughs> or to have a better life. Like that's okay. it. Really. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, so, so we can, we can kind of categorize all of these great outcomes into one of those four kind of buckets. Now the trick is that a lot of people think, well, actually my audience buys things for more than one of those reasons. Like maybe they buy things to make money and have a better life. Well, I guess my argument is that deep down inside, that's probably not true. Deep down inside your audience probably really only has one thing in mind. Um, so, I mean, think about it this way. Let's say that I was a business coach, like as an example, right? And uh, so my, I'm, I'm a business coach whose goal it is for you to make more money. And of course, with that more money, you'll have a better life. Okay, so that's one business model. Well, now let's say I'm a business coach whose goal it is to have you have a better life and really enjoy your life. And of course, you're going to need money to be able to do that. You can see those are two different businesses. They're going to attract two different kinds of consumers. They're going to teach different things. They're going to focus on different things, right? So even though we think we're kind of doing two things at the same time, we're really not. We're really only doing one. So to your point earlier, here's the, the sort of the gotcha. People typically spend way more money to have a better life than they do on any of the other three. Well, maybe not stay out of jail. <laughs> What's an example? Stay out of jail. Uh, oh, you know, thing. like, well, attorneys keep people out of jail, right? Okay. Um, yeah. Also, there's lots right. of, um, there's lots of, uh, like management consultants whose job it is to keep you in line with tax laws okay. and with compliance regulations and stuff. I put it in there because there's all sorts of businesses that are, that keep you out of trouble with the government, right? Like, okay. And, and of course you spend money on that knowing you're not going to get any of it back. Like, right. <laughs> right. You pay your CPA that doesn't really help you. Like your tax CPA, different story. Maybe he can help you, you know, but you're avoiding pain or potential. Yeah, you're, yeah, exactly. Right. Um, People, and, th and this is the funny thing, right? 
people who are dead broke, like in our industry, we have all these people, right? Who are like, I'd love to pay for your course, but I don't have any money because I can't pay the rent and all this stuff. Yeah. Watch those people get a DUI. They have $10,000 like that to buy, to pay for an attorney to keep them out of jail. <laughs> okay. they, those people will find the money, right? So definitely there's this box um, that's kind of important to keep your eye out on, right? Um, but uh, but the, the thing is, is that the better life thing, like you said, your kids, uh, you know, having, having a better life, you getting a better career, you being able to take more vacations, like those sorts of things people pay money for. The trick is that it's hard to quantify, um, but the good news is, is that people sort of mentally put a good premium on that outcome. Well, how do I, if, if I want a better life, you know, and I'm going to have more free time, you know, there's the, I think the popular culture assumption is that there's a lot of snake oil or just disingenuous offers out there. Yep. Like as somebody who really believes in a product they're creating to give people a better life and free up more time through building a better business or whatever it is, how do I trust, how do I trust you or how do you handle yeah. the objections? Absolutely. That is like the, so let me, before we get to the answer, let me tell you what everyone is doing that is absolutely wrong about this. Okay. Okay. So this is the thing, right? The classic marketing stuff tells you to build a gap, right? So you, you create this wonderful picture of how things can be in the future, right? And you get them to like mentally invest in all this really awesome stuff happening in their life. And then you get them back to today, like why it's not happening and what all the challenges are and all the problems, right? And you get them to feel the pain and you get them to want that gap. And you just like, you make that really painful, right? And then you stop. And that is the mistake. Like that's what causes the snake oil salesman. Like anyone can do that. Anyone can play the psychological game where you make people want something and you realize they don't have it and you make it hurt enough and you like use the right words and neuro-linguistic programming and all this kind of stuff. And then suddenly, bam, people are going to pay you tons of money without anything. And I just think those days are almost over mm -hmm. um, because people are getting wise to it. The difference is, is that yes, you do need to create that gap, but you also have to paint, a, you have to provide a bridge over the gap. You have to, you don't have to give them the answer, but you have to say that you have the way. So um, the, the way I love to think about this is uh, I think about like the one thing that I follow absolutely, even if my gut tells me it's wrong and that's my GPS. If I'm in my car driving and that little voice tells me to turn left and deep down inside, it's like, nope, turn right. You got to turn right. You get... And you, you, I know everyone in the audience has totally been there, right? You're coming up right. to the intersection and you're like, I'm supposed to turn right. I'm supposed to turn right. It says, turn left. <laughs> and right. so at the last minute, you're like, oh, I'm turning left. Even though you think you're supposed to turn right. Why do you do that? Because you can see on the map that there's a line between where you are and where you want to go. And so you're absolutely 100% certain that even if maybe it's the long way or it's an extra turn out of the way, you have a path to get there. And that's what we as teachers and service providers need to provide for our clients. They need turn-by-turn -turn directions on how they get from where they are today to where they're going to go. Now, that doesn't mean we give them that all away for free, but they have to see the line on the map that traces over the gap. You have to provide the bridge to get there. 
And when you do, it's not snake oil anymore. Now it's, oh, first I have to do this. Then I'm going to have to do that. Then I'm going to have to do that. And once you can provide that level of detail, you can get rid of that part of the objections of, oh, okay, yeah, you actually have a plan. You're not just talking about, you know, well, let's figure it out together. This is, this is really actually something worth investing in. That's really cool. That makes a lot of sense. Well, in terms of that path and you have the milestones and the individual components, I heard from you something about uh, SAM framework. Can you tell me yeah, more about sure, that? Sure, absolutely. So when we, because we talk about results, and this comes back to your still part of your question, like how do you resolve the objections, right? So there are objections. Um, and, and, and program's not enough, right? The way I, I like to describe it is that there are three objections that your uh, prospect has. One, you don't have a program to get me there. Two, I don't trust you. And three, I don't trust me. Mm-hmm. Okay, those are really your major objections. You've got to somehow get past those. And here's the real trick. Your, your prospect may tell you they have objections to your program if you're lucky, they may tell you they don't trust you if you're really lucky. Right. They're not going to tell you that they don't trust them. And, and so you have to know that this is going on in the head of your prospect. So how do you do that? Well, the, one of the ways to really focus on the I don't trust me, the prospect doesn't trust themselves, is that they've probably invested in training before and haven't got results. Or they've gone through other people's stuff and found it was snake oil, right? Well, because we're focusing on outcome, because we're focusing on results, there are really three things that you need to provide your prospect in order to get those results. One is skills. Absolutely. You have to teach skills, right? But another one is accountability because your prospect's going to have to need to do something, right? If they don't have to do anything, what's the whole purpose of this, right? They're going to have to do something and you're going to have to hold them to do that something. And the third thing is mentorship. Uh, The difference between accountability and mentorship is accountability says the learner needs to do something. Mentorship is the learner needs to observe something. So they need to watch you, you as the expert, Um, whether that's seeing examples, whether that's asking questions, whether that's getting feedback from the thing that your learner is actually doing, right? Um, and all three of those things need to happen. You can't just teach skills. And um, the example I give is, if you don't believe me, go get brain surgery from the guy who just read the textbook. Right. You know, no, right. no one's going to go do that. You want them to have walked through this with somebody, you know, who watched what they did before they operate on you. Well, the same thing's true with your prospect. They want to make sure that they're surrounded by this. There's, And so... Um, you know, uh, training isn't enough. Like you can't, training is great. You get skills that way. But if you really want to create high ticket results oriented programs, you have to uh, provide for accountability and mentorship as well. How, we, how are you going to do that? Well, you know, maybe it's a Facebook group, maybe you have a mastermind, maybe you have an email accountability follow-up program, uh, maybe you have Q&A sessions, whatever it is, you have to come up with some intentional way of delivering on those. So yeah, we call that a SAM profile. That's skills, accountability, and mentorship. Every stage of the learning process, you need to identify what the SAM profile is of that stage and then deliver on it. 
That's very cool. Well, let me take a slight detour and just ask you a personal question that I'm wondering about, which is somebody who's worked with a lot of entrepreneurs and, and helped a lot of people launch courses and, and do other things in business. I'm, I'm aware of this whole like fear of success thing. And I used to not believe it or understand it. Yeah. Then over and over again, like right on the five yard line, right before launch or right, you know, before it's almost done or almost about to go out there into the world inevitably. And I've recognized this in myself too. I'm not free of this, but where does that come from? Because that yeah. seems to, do you have any yeah. thoughts on like that? Just to, just to, in terms of helping people get through that? Is that from a lack of mentorship? Is that from a lack of the right skills or where does that come from? That's a great question. So I, I think, I think there are three components to fear of success. Okay. okay. Well, um, one is just mindset stuff, right? Like it's, it's, it's the whole um, imposter syndrome. Like I don't belong here. Like, right. How did I get here? Uh, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. Like, uh, uh, all, you know, and, and of course that breeds a whole bunch of like, Oh no, all of these people are now like trusting me <laughs> to right. help deliver some great result. And if I fail, I don't just fail me. I fail all of them. Right. Um, so we all have that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think anybody who doesn't have that is a sociopath. <laughs> right. Seriously. Like we all have that. Um, and any, like anyone who says they don't a liar, it's just, it's there. Okay. Um, and so, you know, the, the thing we have to do is admit it's there. And I think we do need mentors to help us through. I mean, I certainly have a mentor. I've had mentors in the past. I mean, one of my mentors is Michael Port and he's been an incredible teacher and mentor to me. And, and yeah, there have been times where I've been in that moment of, oh no, like this is, he's been the perfect guy who's been like, you are the next big thing. And right. I've been like, wow, to have you say that about me? It right. shakes you out of it, right? So we absolutely need mentorship to help us through that. And people who have been there before and can recognize that in us, right? So so that's definitely one. This, the second thing is, is I think, Fear of success can often come from a lack of planning. Mm-hmm. Like, wh- okay, great. Now what? Right? So let's just say I get this across the five-yard line and yeah. I make the touchdown. Now what? You know, now I'm going to have to do something I've never done before. And so that is, I think, a combination of skills and, and, uh, and, and mentorship, right? So what is the next stage? Like, what are you going to do next? Um, this happens a lot in service businesses where I, I talk to service providers, even, even really successful ones where I say to them, okay, listen, your client's not in the room. We have the cone of silence on, like you can be honest now, honestly, right before you sign up that big project, right before they sign on the line, there's a little twinge inside of you. That's like, oh crap, there goes my schedule. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. We're like really excited about the revenue. We want the money. We totally want it coming in. But there's this little like, oh crap, that's going to be a lot of work. Right. And I do think that that element of, um, it's like a, it's like a, a, a dis, it's like, it's like not matching our plan. You know, the, the business where the business is incongruent with the life we want to live. And I do think that a lot of fear of success has to do with, okay, I'm, I'm like successful in the metrics that everyone's telling me I should be successful in, like revenue, but for some reason it doesn't feel like success. 
like every win feels like it's a bit of a Pyrrhic victory. So there is that for sure. And I think that's a, that's a business model change. And we do need, I think people to point out to us, Hey, Hey, uh, if you're having a twinge of regret every single time a client signs up, like there's a problem that you probably need to fix. Um, you probably need to figure out, you know, how, what you're selling and, and how it aligns to what you want to be doing. Right. But, and then the third thing is accountability. Look, I think every single one of us gets to that. You know, there, there's a part of us that gets to that again, five yard line. And it's like, what do you have to do to get it over the line? It is extra. It, I mean, it's extra work, right? It's a classic uh, 80-20 rule. 80% of the effort is required to get the last 20% done. And sometimes you just need somebody to just kick your butt and help you get that last little bit done. But I think if you take a look at all of those pieces together, um, that helps us. You know, that, that, that means you can surround yourself with the resources you need to ensure success when you get it to that red zone. Awesome. Well, a lot of people listening to this episode, I know because I talk to a lot of people as they're starting to get into thinking about online courses and different part of that journey, but a lot of them are highly uh, successful, uh, make good money consultants and service providers who really want to get into the productized service or the done for you. I'm going to take my service and I'm going to package it into a course to get the same result for the client. What is the key from making that leap? Cause it's a big leap and it's also it really scary for people to, to do, but how, how can they do it without the fear and how can they do it the right way? And can you save them some uh, classic uh, stumbling blocks in that transition? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you the biggest problem that usually happens when people make that transition, right? So, so you've got a classic, you know, consultant or high value service provider, right? So when they do project work, when they do one-on-one work, they're making good money, right? They're charging thirty, fifty, seventy thousand dollars, or something. Like some of my clients, you know, they're charging one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, right? Um, when I before I made the switch over, my clients were I was charging them three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So, like, how do you make that switch over? Well, here's the big challenge, right? So, going on the internet, you start looking at courses and course providers. You start looking at at price points, right? Mm-hmm. You're gonna see everything, right? You're gonna see nineteen dollars, not ninety nine dollars, five hundred dollars, two thousand dollars, you know, all over the map. When I started doing courses, right, I was, uh, I would, I, I, I joined. Uh, I, I won't even say the name, but I joined this one sort of platform for courses, right? You put your course up there, and then you, you put that, you know, the price that it's like seven hundred and ninety nine dollars. And then you immediately mark it down to $19 with this idea of getting this flood of people in, right? Well, okay, great. Do the math. Right. <laughs> so if I'm going to take the time away from my $70,000 consulting engagement to sell $2,000 courses, let's just say, right? You have to sell like, you know, 35 of those things in order to make it make some sense. And that takes some time. Well, now if you talk about a $19 course, well, forget it, right? The numbers are just astronomical. So the biggest challenge that people have is how do I keep my cash flow going when I make the switch over? Um, And I blow away the premise entirely at the beginning. There's this idea that when you create scalable income that you have to start small and you start with the low stuff and you get your foot in the door and you build this ascension ladder of you know, smaller, then bigger, then bigger, then bigger, then bigger. And then one of these days, maybe I'll create that wonderful mastermind where we take the five people to Tahiti and charge them a hundred thousand dollars. Right. Like that's the, right. Isn't that like the internet marketing yeah. like bill anyway? Yeah. 
But I, the, I think that whole thing is crap. The whole yeah. idea of doing that is complete crap. Um, the idea behind being a high-valued service provider is that you're creating results for mm-hmm. your clients. If you create results for your clients, you can do so in a scalable way. You don't have to do it in a way that sells your time. But if you're getting those same results, why in the world would your prices drop? If, if you're priced correctly and you're charging $70,000 because they're getting at least 10 to 20x return on investment, right? So they're making 700 to $1.4 million, let's say, on your, on your, uh, on your stuff. Great. Well, then if you do it in a way that doesn't sell your time and they're getting the same results, why should your price change? You should be able to charge big money for that exact same result. Now, you probably can't do it by just putting a couple of videos online, right? You're not going to change. You're not going to basically just get rid of yourself and all of the things that you do with a couple of video training programs. But the, but the, the training is a core component of an overall program, right? So when you plan correctly and you look at the accountability and the mentorship component as well, and you design something that gets your client the same result, then you should not be messing around with $500 courses. You should be charging 10, 20, 50, $100,000. I have a client who has a scalable program that costs $100,000. And that's because the client gets one to $2 million of benefit out of it. It's all about the value that you're providing. So if you do that first, you don't have to worry about where'd my money go, right? That's the big challenge of making that transition. That's awesome. Well, let me ask you a question before we get into the stack for programs. Like what are yeah. the, what are the key pieces? Yep. Um, if we're, if we're looking at something where it's not obvious what our starting point is that we want to provide a result of 10 X value, like yeah. let's say you're looking at something like health, like how do you quantify that in terms of 10 X result? I mean, I know like, well, you might be able to live long enough to see your grandkids or there's other ways to talk about it. But if it's not obvious, like if you take my $10,000 course, you can get this $100,000 job in a year. That's kind of yeah. obvious. Right. But with the, the more abstract or subjective results, how do you do that? How yeah. Do you- it's a great question. I mean, the, the, the answer is, unfortunately, you have to ask. Um, you know, it's basically price testing. But before, before we kind of get to that kind of easy tactical piece, let's talk about one strategic element of that, which is really important. Okay. Um, if you are providing the better life, right, component, right? We talked about that fourth reason people buy. Um, you have to understand that the value you provide is highly dependent on the person taking that program, right? So, for example, I have a client um, who is a dietitian, and she helps women get over digestive IBS issues and basically gets their time back. And the program that she offers is for women entrepreneurs who basically are losing five to 10 hours a week because of their health in their business, right? Okay. And if they could get that five to 10 hours back and put it back into their business, they can invest. I mean, basically they get a return on that investment, right? Okay. Gotcha. So if she was going to offer that exact same program to somebody who let's say just occasionally has stomach pains, they're not going to pay $14,000 for her program, which is how much it costs, right? Because right. the value to, her, to that woman isn't the same. So 
value depends on, I mean, it's the eye of the beholder. And a lot of times what happens is, is that we'll say, oh, well, um, I help you uh, prioritize your life better so that you can spend time doing the things you really enjoy. Right. That's awesome. Well, one person who doesn't have a real pain point around that is like, that's lame. I wouldn't pay very much for that. And then we as the course creator go, oh no, I've got something that's not very much of value, right? Well, no, we got to go find the audience where it is of value. And there's going to be an audience where it's a very, very painful problem, right? I mean, when I was a corporate consultant and I, and I worked on five continents, okay, okay. And I was flying all over the place and 350,000 miles a year, if somebody told me that there was going to be a way to prioritize my life so that I could spend more time with my family, I would have paid a ton of money for that, right? So it all comes down to finding the right audience. It's not just a matter of identifying exactly what the outcome is, but it's also finding the people who care. Now, once you find the people who care, you have to ask them. I mean, and this is a, this is a core piece that I, I really strongly believe in. Um, you know, a lot of people, when they create courses or programs, the very first thing they do is they put up a lead magnet and they start sending Facebook traffic to it and all this stuff. And I, I hate that because it totally cuts your legs out from underneath you in getting feedback, desperate feedback that you need. I think you really need to validate your course or your program with pilot clients, right? And that means actually going and, and talking to people, not as part of a sales conversation, but literally as a validation process. Like, here's the problem I'm trying to solve. Here's the pain I think you have. Let me validate that. Does that make sense? Like, do you feel that pain? Is that something you'd invest some money in? How much money would you invest to make that problem go away? You tell me. And then, oh, by the way, I'm thinking of charging X. Would you pay that or not? And then here's the other trick. If I talk to seven people about price and all seven of them tell me that the price is good, my price is too low. Right. <laughs> right. So this, is, this is something that people don't understand about pricing theory is that you actually kind of want around 30 to 40% of people to say yes. And then you know your price is good because you'll get a good conversion rate and you'll also make money out of it. So if I make seven validation calls, I want five of the seven people to basically validate that I've got the right problem and the right solution, right? And it's something they would invest in. And yes, all of the words you're using, they make sense to me, all that stuff. But of those seven people, I only want three people to tell me that they would buy at the price that I'm offering. Because that gives me about a 42% conversion rate, which is better than a 33, which is what I usually shoot for. And then I know I'm not undercharging. So sometimes the no's in the validation tell us just as much as the yeses do. Very cool. Well, in terms of pricing, last question here. How do we, what is the stack to create high value programs? Yeah, like, yeah. There's online courses, but there's more to it. Like what else could you do? Yep. In some ways in our world, we call that blended learning a little bit where there's different modalities to yep. connect with people, whether it be events, the online course and whatever, but what is your stack? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, and I always focus on scalable methods. So I don't, I don't like one-on-one. I don't like uh, projects. Like those are custom projects. I don't like those. So I immediately throw those out. So okay. if we're going to build a program. I want it to be something where it's scalable. And for me, scalable means that every new client does not take up any more of your time. Okay. 
So uh, that's the goal, right? On day one, we're not going to have that, but and the goal is we want to create that. So if that's the case, if that's the goal, then I, I see there's basically five uh, kind of building blocks. They're kind of like Legos. You can kind of put together any way that you want um, that make up that process. And we've already talked about one that's virtual training, right? Makes total sense. It needs to be, it's, it's probably a core component of every program, some kind of virtual training. Uh, two is a, a mastermind. Now, when I talk about masterminds, I want to talk about a real mastermind. I'm not talking about the, oh, I just wrote my book and so now I'm going to create a mastermind. Like that's not <laughs> masterminds. Masterminds are specifically a small group of people with a very particular goal together for accountability. And you are a facilitator. You're not the expert. You're not the, the guru. You're just facilitating the dialogue. The learning happens between the participants. They keep themselves accountable. They meet together on a regular basis to do that. That's what a true mastermind is. The, set, the third building block is group coaching. This is actually what most people call a mastermind, but it's really group coaching. And that is where you are the guru. You are the expert. You're providing mentorship mostly um, for a group, answering questions, showing examples, bringing them things, right, that you think would be useful. Um, you're the sort of curator of the, of the group. Uh, the fourth thing is a done-for-you service. Now, a lot of people go, wait a minute, Frank. You just said <laughs> no project work. Right. Yeah, done-for-you services are a little bit different. So when I talk about done-for-you service, I'm talking about a very specific outcome that you know how to create, and you can create a very specific process that generates it, almost like it's a manufacturing process, okay? It's the difference between a custom project right? Where you go, when your client says, what can you do? And you go, I don't know. What do you need? <laughs> That's right. a custom project. We're not in that business, but literally like, oh, uh, you need your course uh, set up on our system. Yeah, we do that because it requires step A, step B, step C, step D. Every single time we have people for that. We have a bench of folks that do that work. Now you on day one might be the person doing that work, but the idea is that you can train somebody to take your job, right? And then the last one are live events and workshops. Um, and all five of those Lego blocks have different SAM profiles, back to the skills, accountability, and mentorship, right? Um, virtual training provides skills, but it doesn't provide any accountability and mentorship. While a mastermind is a horrible place to teach skills and actually doesn't do a lot of mentoring, but it's great accountability. So if you look at those different blocks, you're going to use them in different ways and you can actually design it really intentionally to make sure that you're getting the results that your folks need. That's awesome. That's a really powerful stack there. Well, Frank, Bria, ladies and gentlemen, if people want to hear more about what you're up to and, and how you can help them more, where do you want to send them? Yeah. So if, if people are interested in this stack and how to put that together, we have a, a blueprint that actually walks through the sort of three stages of putting a high ticket program together. If you just go to frankbria.com slash blueprint, um, you can get it for free. Awesome. Download it for free and uh, it'll walk you through those three big steps. And it talks about some of the things that we've talked about in more depth. Perfect. Well, thank you, Frank, for coming on the show. We'll have to do this again sometime. Yeah, my pleasure. It was a lot of fun. All right. Well, have an awesome day.